So hello and welcome to episode 8 of Rebel City Podcast. As always, I've got Matt. How's it going, Matt? Not bad, mate. How's yourself? Very good, mate. Very good. I'm just going to move us over a wee bit just to make sure that we get you in. Um, so for the first time, me and Matt have just done two podcasts back to back, so it should be a wee bit interesting. Um, I've got an incredible guest, um, considering myself really lucky. I've got uh, Mia. How's it going, Mia? Hey, um, going great. Uh, how are you two? Fantastic, actually. Like, really good. I'm glad that we've finally got over our technical difficulties and now we're, we're shooting the podcast. So, um, as I was saying, Mia, you're on a TV screen next to me, Matt, so we can see you and you'll be able to see my hand, but no much else, maybe a wee bit of my shoulder. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Um, it, we're, we're in our infancy, but um, we're... we're we're trying our best with our podcast, but thanks very much for coming on. I'm really appreciate I appreciate everybody that comes on, but also like you don't know me, you don't know me personally, and um, so thanks very much. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, well, uh, thank you guys for inviting me as well. I mean, I'm always happy to share the story, um, and I'll tell you in the end why. Okay, no, no problem. So we'll get a wee bit at the end for us. Um, do you want to just share a wee bit about yourself, Mia? Um, just let people know like a bit about your story. Well, I'll try to do it in a bit shorter version, and then you can just go ahead and ask whatever you find interesting. Um, so um, I'm a high school dropout, and... Uh, you know, there were not many jobs for high school dropouts. So I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was 18. Uh, by the time I was 30, I created four very successful companies. Um, and my personal net worth at that time was around 15 million US. And, uh, but in that journey, I made a lot of mistakes um, and a lot of failures. And uh, I was not even realizing that because uh, at that time in, in, in Europe, as you guys know, uh, that was before 2009 when the financial crisis hit, um, everything was blooming. So it was not so hard to be successful at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2009, uh, one Monday morning, December 7th, uh, I got a call from the bank. They decided to stop financing my real estate project. Everything was tied to that project. So basically overnight, all my companies went into bankruptcy and I ended up being uh, about 5 million US dollars in personal debt. I'm using uh, US dollars because most of the time I'm sharing this story with the US and Canadian audience and, mm -hmm. and that's why uh, <clears throat> but yeah it, it was in euros um, and uh, I had no option to do personal bankruptcy um, in, in Europe as again you guys know um, if your companies went bankrupt and you were unable to pay the paychecks to your employees you are not able to pay uh, the government taxes, you can't do personal bankruptcy. At least that was the case back in 2009 and 10. Uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry. So um, first I went into huge, huge, huge depression, anxiety. Uh, there was just darkness inside of me, outside of me. Um, I, I lost any dreams, any goals, you know, like even thinking about that you know, something good can happen was, you know, how can you think about it? You lost everything. Um, in that process of losing everything, I also lost, uh, well, I got divorced. Uh, I lost most of my friends that I thought that were actually my friends, but it ended up that, uh, you know, they were just there uh, when the times were good. Uh, and then in 2010, I came literally a <clears throat> minute or two away from make creating a suicide committing a suicide i mean that thought was more and more on my mind uh throughout 2010 <laughs> and it was because um my mind was like a constant nuclear reactor you know you wake up 
everybody starts calling you that you are owing money to mm. and then you just go like you wake up and bam there's depression bam there's the anxiety and so on so um I just wanted that peace and quiet. I, I, I just wanted, you know, like a moment of, of, of peace in, in, in my head. And, and you know, the idea of suicide was that. So you do it and, and then everything goes silent. And I was craving that silence more and more and more. Uh, so, yeah, one night, it was around 11 p.m., I was in my apartment, which was about to be taken away from me in the fifth floor, and I was on the balcony smoking and I don't know, I just started climbing on, on, on the other side of the balcony, looking down. And uh, I mean, now I can laugh about it. But at that time, um, the only thought in my head what, looking down was like, will I do this right at least, you know, or will I even end up on a wheelchair instead of, you know, like doing yeah. it all the way through? Um but that was the moment where my first thought was my mom. So my father has already passed away. Basically, the only relative uh, alive was my mom. And um, my first thought was, what will happen to her if I do this? You mm -hmm. know, like she, she co-signed a few things as well for me. And she was just a bank clerk. Uh, and so... You can't repay all those millions with a paycheck. It's, it's completely oh. impossible. Mm -hmm. and, and then the next thing that I did, and, and I actually said it in English, and I actually said it out loud. And um, I don't know. I hope you are not uh, G-rated. Uh, but what I said was, uh, you fucking failed. You really fucking failed. Um, and at the moment that I said that, that was the first time I said it out loud. That was the first time I wasn't blaming everything on everybody else mm -hmm. and everything else. <clears throat> and, and, and the liberating moment was hearing myself say the word you. Because it meant I failed. And I can learn from it, I can learn new things, and I can do it differently, I can do it better. And then the next thought was, so you already did it once, and with all the failures, with all the mistakes, you, you still were able to come to 15 million net worth. You can do it even better next time. You just need to learn what you did wrong. And, and, and that was so empowering, that I, I call that my aha moment. And then I stayed up all night. I created this huge, huge, huge list of things that I need to work. Almost, you know, like writing it on a whole paper, toilet paper. Um, and the first thing I did in the morning was I started calling people who I owed money to. And I said to all of them, uh, like, you know, um, I was not owing money just to bank uh, and they just threaten you with lawyers and, and courts, but I was owing money to people and they give you a, a bit, a bit different kind of threats. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, if, if killing me will make you happy, go ahead. Like, just come here, do it. I honestly, I don't care. I really, and I didn't care, you know, like just do whatever you want. But if you want your money back, I need to create something again. I can't just go find a job because no matter what my paycheck will be, I can't repay all the millions mm -hmm. that I owe you all. And the only way for me to do that is to create something even bigger. Um, and so you can either help me and open maybe some doors for me or you can at least leave me alone with your phone calls because you just put me in huge depression every time you call me. Let's make an agreement that I'll call you once a month, give you an update, and all the rest I can actually concentrate on, on, on doing things.
and not not many helped uh, and and even that help was not not something substantial but all of them gave me that peace that I needed and then I was working on personal development on business development on learning new skills learning new stuff changing bad habits and so on for the next almost four years uh, and in these four years I did my homework right I created a new startup at the beginning of 2014 and I scaled that company from zero to multiple eight figures a month in less than a year by wow. November that same year we were making well uh, that November we made uh, just in that month of November 42 million euros revenue in just one month. Wow. Oof. And then, you know, then all the rest is history. I proved to myself, I proved to everybody else that I really learned from my mistakes. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing went a little bit viral. Um, companies and, and entrepreneurs started contacting me. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And, and that's how... Um, I eventually started doing now, which is uh, my fail coach. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the story. Okay, well, it's an incredible. It, I mean, thanks for being so candid. First of all, like I think that it takes an incredible amount of bravery to speak the way that you've spoken about what what's, what you've been through. Um, so I'd like to just say first of all, like thanks very much that you've yeah. shared your story and been so like truthful. And, um, what was the? So I mean, I've got so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say like first of all, um, what was the? What what used to motivate you? So you you were before you were saying you made a lot of mistakes, and what was the main motivation that you had? previous to the, the crash? Oh, um, I would say it was just, you know, uh, material stuff, mm -hmm. uh, power, um, just things like that. Um, things that, yeah, um, they don't mean anything to me today. So completely changed what motivates you? Um, yeah, and you know, I don't think that I changed. I just discovered my true self through that process. Uh, I, I don't believe that I was ever so material or something. But, you know, we get brainwashed on a daily basis from media, from our society, people close to us. And, you know, you kind of start believing that, you know, I mean, any newspaper that you open, any website that you open, it's, you know, guys with Lambos and, 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 you know, Kim Kardashian bought this and the other Kardashian bought that. And, you know, you're constantly bombarded with material stuff because, well, you know, corporations that influence all that uh, media, uh, they want you to buy things. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think I just rediscovered myself that I, I kind of lost myself in all that process. Mm -hmm. You know, I was I was below 30. I was 20 something, you know, like um, you have a lot of money. You everybody's your friend. All the pretty ladies are around you. You can buy this, buy that. You can, you know, party all night long and things like that. You, wherever you go, you are in the VIP booth and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just flying high from from all that uh, success power that you have over people and, and so on and uh, in, in after the failure you know you learn that those things didn't mean as much as you thought they mean at that moment you know like you're constant like you know <clears throat> I bought a BMW M5 like every guy's dream mm -hmm. and then you know for the first week, yeah, it's a hell of a car, all those buttons and everything. But then after one week, you know, yeah, you sit in it and, and, and you just drive wherever you need to go. 
And then, you know, immediately you start dreaming about a Mercedes and then you get the Mercedes and you start dreaming about an Audi and, and so on, you know, and, and you're just constantly going from one dream to another and, and you don't really have in that moment because it doesn't really mean that much. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're, you, you're just, yeah, you just see all your friends, you know, because, you know, once you start making good money, of course, you are invited to all those Rotary Clubs and all this because everybody's just looking, you know, how you can donate for this charity or that charity. And, you know, you, you feel you're really important and everybody wants to talk with you and all that. And then you get yourself into those clubs, you know, like cigar clubs and, and Rotary Clubs, Lion Clubs and so on. And then everybody there has or, or most people there have, have more than you. And then you're trying to get there, you know, and, you know, this guy, you want a Porsche, this guy buys this, you want that. But, you know, in reality, those things make you happy for, you know, a few brief moments. But is it really happiness? Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, you, you were saying that um, you'd lost yourself in this sort of um, possessions like yeah was that really the only motivation that you had was to make money and sort of gather things <clears throat> um gather things have power you know because with money comes power and you know uh people do what you want them to do you have employees and you know things like that like stupid things really stupid things but you know at that time they were just i don't know uh, somehow uh calling me uh so you have all that power you can do whatever you want to do um i don't know I, I think yeah it was mostly those two things and how would you say that's changed now what would, what would you say the difference in your mentality is oh i mean now it's all about empowering people helping people <clears throat> not you know having power over people but giving power to other people um that that's the thing about you know when i said i'll, I'll tell you at the end but uh, the the reason why i do this why i share my stories not not because i love my stories so much and and you know i i bounce back i really bounce back and i don't need to to tell it but what I've learned is that other people don't open up. And the only way to um, break the taboo that's called failure is to speak about it. And mm -hmm. so I, I see my story as a tool to give voices to other people. Yeah. That, that, that's why I do this. And uh, regarding the material stuff, you know, like what do you need? You need something to eat. You need something to drink. You need a little bit of roof over your head. And that's it. You know, like, um, it, it's more about what you can give and, you know, not about what you can receive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, how, how are some of the ways that you provide that support to other people now? Oh, well, um, I would say there are three main ways. So... One is working with people who are very new to the entrepreneurial world through uh, volunteer work in the local startup community. Well, the thing is that I've, I've learned that failure, the, the biggest problem is for people who are uh, venturing or in the entrepreneurial world because they are the ones that are pushing themselves most out of the comfort zone. And when you push yourself out of the comfort zone, there is a much bigger likelihood of you failing at something. So um, that's one for people who are just entering the entrepreneurial world, who want to, you know, make something more than just being in the red race of a nine to five. Um, then uh, it's with helping entrepreneurs who are already successful financially, but, you know, they don't have the time uh, is to, to, to really find that freedom. And it's, you know, that quote from Braveheart and, you know, you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but, you know, that, that's something that really, really, really um, 
motivates me still. I mean, I, I watch it many times. Uh, and, uh, you know, people go into entrepreneurial world for two things, to achieve freedom and to make an impact. And, and at one point, they are just, you know, in that hamster wheel, they have the financial freedom. I mean, they have the money, but they have no freedom of time. And, and you know, without the freedom of time, they can't make impact. And you know how they say best leaders create leaders. So, you know, I want to empower people to have more time, to have more money, but to and then to use that for the greater good, whatever that is. So somebody wants to help children, somebody wants to help the elderly, somebody wants to help animals. You know, there's there's enough of help needed in, in, in every aspect of our life. Um and then the third thing is breaking the taboo called failure. And that, that's the most important one. Because as I said, um, number one reason, number one dream killer is fear of failure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Stops people and, from even starting in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. And it's not and it's not like I mean, my my brand name is Fail Coach. And people, you know, always say, well, why fail coach? Do you help people not to fail? Blah, blah, blah. People want success, not failure, and so on. So I've heard it all. Um, the thing is, failure will always be present. You can't run away from it. I yeah. mean, you can, but that would mean that you stop pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. So you you live in your comfort zone. But then, then that's the biggest failure because you fail on life completely. You're not pushing yourself to, to, to go for your dreams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's not about trying to avoid failure. Of course, there are many techniques how you can minimize failure, how you can fail smart, how you can fail forward and so on. But it, the biggest thing is to establish healthy emotional relationship with failure. Because failure, you know... It, it, you know, you try to do something and the outcome is not as you envisioned it. You fail. But it's not that failure that hurts. It's how you emotionally react to it. You know, you're disappointed, you're sad, whatever. But it's over, you know, most of the time we react with negative emotions. And those are the ones that then put us on that, you know, roller coaster on a downward spiral and then more and more and more and more of bad things start happening mm -hmm. so but if you realize that failure is actually a good thing because it means that you are pushing yourself you are chasing your dreams and of course like i mean you know when when you start walking we don't say failure we say you learn to walk yeah you never do it on your first try you learn how to ride a bicycle. You learn how to r drive a car. But those are so common that we don't use word failure. And we don't necessarily associate negative emotions. Well, I do know a few people who failed uh, quite a few times uh, in passing the drivers <clears throat> for the driver's license. And, and yeah, they started having negative emotions. But that was just because they were, you know, like using 10 times more hours than an average person. But, you know, most of the time we are okay with failing at those things. And we use the term learning. And like, what is failure? It's something, you know, you, you start a company, you do a few wrong things, it fails, but you have so much to learn from that. And then you just move on. You grow from that and move on. Mm -hmm. And you try to learn as much as you can. And, you know, by learning, you figure out, oh, I lacked this or I lacked that experience or I lacked that knowledge or maybe next time I can find somebody to fill that gap or whatever. Um, you know, it, it's all about how you react when you're, when failure happens. Failure will happen, but you can react either with po positive way, in a positive way, um, action-driven way, uh, or you can react with negative emotions and then, you know, you become passive. Mm -hmm. 
you make yourself passive, you yep. can't do anything about it, and then just things start rolling. Yeah. Failure, that, that's my number one passion. <laughs> Failure's a passion. I love that. Um, I, I like that you're, it's basically changing the way that people think about their, their endeavours um, and sort of framing it in a different way. Um, I would be interested to know, like, what do you think causes this um, failure taboo? Like, why do we, why do we act like this? Um, if you look at sex, 30, 40 years ago, sex was a taboo, mm-hmm. and nobody was talking about it. It was something almost to be ashamed of, you know, like oh, you know, like. Like, you know, we all know that everybody's having sex, uh, but it was, you know, oh, we don't speak about it. It's, ooh. Uh, and now it, it's far from any taboo. I, I think it went even the other way. Um, you know, you go to, I don't know, your local bar or, or to a local McDonald's, you know, where children are, and, and you hear people talk about sex. And, and with failure, it's, you know, failure is, I think, even stronger emotion. And so most people just hold it in. We don't speak about it. And, and the thing is that there is just this common misconception about failure, that failure is a bad thing. And we are taught from, you know, even from our school systems, you know, you're good if you have an A, but if, if, you, if you fail and you can get an F, that's a bad thing. You know, it's not about what you can learn from that, how you can repair that, but no, you're ridiculed and, and so on. And because of that, we, we, when failure occurs to us, we don't speak about it. We hold it deep inside of us. Yeah, for sure. And we try to, yeah, and we try to find an explanation uh, to make it easier for us. So it's not my fault. It's my coworkers' fault. It's my wife's fault. It's the government's fault, whatever. Yeah. The bank's fault. But we try to justify that by trying to, you know, excuse, find an excuse and, and put that blame on somebody else inside of our head. Yeah. It, See, if I'm studying at the moment, I'm studying to become a therapist. And one of the massive interesting uh, learnings for me, and you touched on it yourself, is that personal responsibility is liberating. That giving, per- giving a person the responsibility for their own well-being, for their own life, is completely liberating for that person. And previous to studying mental health and studying therapy, I would have assumed that um, it would be too much, that giving people that element of responsibility could potentially freak them out rather than it being something that they can grab hold of and actually make a difference in their own life. And that's really interesting that you had said that at your lowest point, taking responsibility for where you were, what had happened was liberating for you? You know, I see that, like, I work with a lot of people who are, uh, you know, depressed, anxious, and so on. And, and I see it over and over and over again. Once they, once we get them to the mindset where they start owning their own mistakes, when they take responsibility for their own life, once they stop blaming everybody else, that's when the magic happens. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like something magical, you know, you let go of all that because if it's you, you can do something about it. And it gives you that, that powerful feeling that you are in control. When you blame it on everybody else, when you blame it on anything else, mm-hmm. you have no control and you feel, you know, like, yeah, like you are such a, so small. But when you are in control, you have the power and then it's all up to you. And, you know, like um, there's nobody to blame. 
And, and so people start taking action. Of course, again, there are many different techniques that then you can uh, uh, apply. You know, some people want to start with baby steps. Some people need to start with something big. Mm -hmm. This is all psychology and figuring out where some person, certain person is and, and what would make them going and so on. And even we as human, like even let's say me as a person for some areas of my life, I need to do baby steps. And for certain other areas of my life, um, I can just go boldly and, and take the biggest giants. On, uh, on hearing your story, um, it sounds as though a kind of entrepreneurial spirit led you to where you were in your life, you know, prior to your crash. Um, but it also sounds as though it's been something that, you know, helped you claw your way back as well. Like, that entrepreneurial spirit, what kind of part does that play in, in your recovery? Um, I, I mean... The entrepreneurial thing, I wouldn't say plays any huge role. That was, you know, just basically who I am. I I can't see myself in being in the corporate world. I mean, you know, I I can't understand all that bureaucracy and all that. So it's 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 just. But I think you know, no matter whether you are an entrepreneur or you are in the corporate world or you are an athlete or, you know, those basic principles still apply. And, and, you know, you can, you can push yourself in, you know, up, up the corporate ladder Mm -hmm. or in the entrepreneur's world or, you know, becoming a better athlete and so on. So, um, I, I think those things are really, really much more universal than just tied to, to, uh, entrepreneurial world. And, you know, like um, a lot of times when I work with entrepreneurs, it's about leadership and leadership skills and so on. And then, you you know, you come to relationships, creating meaningful relationships. But, you know, like, is that really so much different than creating a relationship with, you know, like your spouse, with your friends, with your family uh, and and so on? It, It really isn't. Of course, there are a few specifics, but, you know, like any relationship other than the one you were born into and, and you can't, you don't have an influence over that, but any other relationship, if you consider something to be a long-term relationship, whether you want to marry that girl or you, you want to, you know, work with, with that company for a long time or have that employee for a long-term time, you, you can't treat a long-term relationship as a one-night stand. You need to go on a few dates. You need to have a few glasses of wine because, you know, in vino veritas. And, you know, you need to talk about some of the difficult things uh, that we are not, you know, you can't just talk about the weather. Um, and, and, and you need to watch whether that person walks the talk. And it's always good if, if you have an option to test the relationship out in some critical situation, even if you just create it for the sake of trying it, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that, that's when you see true colors of somebody, when, when times are tough, how they respond, how they react. Yeah. That's where you see where their true priorities are, what their core beliefs are, what their core values are. When everything is beautiful, of course I can say, oh, my value is to help humanity. Is it still when things are hard, when things are tough, will you still think about others before you will think about you? That's where you really see who somebody is. And so if you want to create a long-term relationship, you need to go on a few dates. You You can't just jump into the bed. Hmm, it's interesting. Um, post the crash um, and deciding to get your act together, and was there anything specific that you, you did to help you with the anxiety, to help you with the depression? Um, is there anything that you, you've you've brought into the the field coaching to help people? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, it's all about foundation. Um, and so you need strong foundation um, on which you can then build up. And the foundation is emotional intelligence. The So knowing how to balance logic and emotions. Because emotions can be good in some parts, but in some parts you need to be purely logical about something or a decision that you need to make. Mindfulness, you know, how to take yourself a little bit out of that current situation and, and see it for, with a much clearer view. Because emotions, everything, every time then, but when something happens to us, we react with emotions, not with logic. Mm -hmm. And those emotions cloud our view. So if you want to see more clearly and then, you know, being able to draw lessons from the past and apply them, it's good to have that uh, mindfulness, to be able to detach yourself from that current moment, to just step a few steps away from it. Um, and then um, what else? Um, well, you know, like just taking care, like, uh, figuring out who you truly are, living your true self. You know what are your what are your true core core beliefs? What are your goals? What are your priorities? And then starting to live according to who you truly are. I mean, I remember before the crash, I I was wearing masks constantly. And that's what a lot of people do. They go to work, they wear one mask, you know, and they pretend to be somebody that co-workers will like. And then they pretend to be somebody that bosses will like and so on. Or if you are an entrepreneur, you pretend to be somebody that your clients will like or your business partners and so on. Yeah. So we constantly wear masks and, you know, like... Um, and then just brainwashing yourself from, from all the influence, you know, and, and truly reach down to who you truly are, what you truly are, and, and then build from that upwards. And then, like I said, things like emotional intelligence, mindfulness, and, and probably many others that I can't uh, remember right yeah. right away um, and and then we go to technical then it's it's you know technical skills about I don't know um, how to create a company or how to you know do this thing in a job or, or things like that mm -hmm. do you think that emotional intelligence is something that we're lacking as um, yeah yeah as yeah, what yeah. a wider society that um, because it's definitely something that um, I had to really work on was my emotional intelligence, and <clears throat> it, it, it's been a long journey. It's not been easy. There, there are, there's a lot of advice out there, but there's I, I feel that there's a lack of good advice, certainly, or focused advice. And I think that it's it can be a very individual thing. Um, um, yeah, the techniques. Very, yeah, very individual, and and you know, like this soft skills, as I call them. That, that consists the right foundation, uh, they're not the easiest to, to learn because it's not just about learning. You have to practice them for quite some time. Yeah. You know, the hard skills, you, you, you learn them, you can apply them straight away. Uh, the soft skills take time. And uh, yeah, emotional intelligence is becoming more and more and more and more important. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, people... The, so let's say from an entrepreneurial or from management point of view, why managers today need emotional intelligence? Um, 20, 30 years ago, people didn't, employees didn't have as many options as they do today. And they were not aware of options. And when people are not aware that there are options, they are much easier to manipulate and to control and, and to, you know, hold caged in their jobs. Yeah. The more they are aware of options, the more jobs are out there and the world is opening up. We live in a global world. The harder it is for managers to rule with that iron fist. 
Um, and, and so we come to the next challenge, but how do you lead people? And emotional intelligence and empathy are two of the most important things. Every leader, and you know, then again, what is a leader? You are leader of your life as well. You are leader of maybe your family. So again, you know, like not everything just applies to businesses. Uh, it applies to, you know, our everyday life as well. Same principles, you know, like you can be the leader of your own life. Motivate yeah. yourself and, and so on. And, and so, yeah, emotional intelligence is, in my opinion, number one thing that we should all learn and practice and then empathy and then things like I said, uh, mindfulness and so on. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that <clears throat> empathy is a, is a requirement for a leader. Um, I'm myself, I manage people as my day job um, that's what I do I'm a manager and if I was to think back to seven years ago when when I first became a manager the way that I manage people was very unpopular because I would have been seen as soft because I do see things from another, from other people's point of view I'm not necessarily I don't restrict myself within the rules of the company that I work I give people a bit more freedom to work the way that they want to work and also that the way that I manage people is just the way that I would like to be managed um, that's that's that that's always worked really well for me and I've been really successful in my job but I've had people doubt the way that I work simply because they they see it as being soft that I'm a soft manager that and even though my success is, should show them that it is the right way to work, I still get pushback on it. I still get the same sort of comments about, like, you shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing that, even though it's successful. I think that potentially, in, in, especially in the, the business world, we're seeing a lot of changes, seeing a lot of changes to the way that people consume um, and I also think that we're seeing a lot of changes in the way that people sell, like their products and um, I think that we're changing to a more value-based system. Yeah. Do you think that that's... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, um, I mean, I get approached by a lot of marketing people and they all try to, you know, push me into funnels and this and that. And, and I always tell them one thing. I just have one very simple funnel and it's called value first funnel. So... Uh, what I do is I try to leverage my time as efficiently as possible to reach as big group of people as possible. So instead of, you know, hopping on a one-on-one -on -one call, I go on a podcast. Why? Because I can reach more people. But my whole idea is uh, not just sharing my story, but through that story, trying to give as much as possible valuable information, valuable advice that people can take and implement and act upon it to tomorrow or today. Um, and, and through giving value, do any selling, you know? I mean, how, you know, how much do you really need? Uh, do you need... 10,000 clients, no, you need just a few clients that are paying. And, you know, if you reach enough people uh, and by giving value, um, there will always be people who will want something more, who will want more guided <clears throat> approach or something like that, the hand-holding experience and, and things like that. To all the rest, just have the information. It's here. It's not mine. It's not that I made it. Up. It's, it's just what I'm giving is translated what I've learned through my personal experiences. Yeah, I think that's where the empathy is probably going to be the most valuable aspect to your experiences that you can use your experience to empathize with people in these situations. Um, yeah, but you know, yeah, you need to balance it. So when you are a leader, Yes, you need empathy. Yes, you need emotional intelligence. But yes, you still need to be aware that you are the leader mm -hmm. 
you need to make a decision. You can delegate, uh, you can't delegate responsibility. So you are the leader. At the end, you need to make a choice and you need to stand by it. Uh, And, you know, for me, sometimes it's, Sometimes I just need to kick somebody's ass because that's what they, that's that's what they need. I mean, you know, in all honesty, because if if you are babysitting them too much, they won't do something. So you need to, you know, find that balance. And 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 I think empathy gives you that is to see when somebody needs a little bit of soft approach. Yeah, because they were maybe hurt so many times, they failed so many times, they had some bad experiences in the past, maybe difficult childhood and so on. And they need, you first need to recover them. But once they are recovered, you must stop with the babysitting. And sometimes you must have to like kick their ass a little bit to move them forward. But, but you know, these are very subtle things. Uh, I, I don't think there is, you know, like a formula or something. Yeah, it's no. really, really individual. And, and, and you know, you, you just need to constantly work on that empathy, on that emotional intelligence. And the more you do, the better you will sense these situations when you need to do certain things. Mm. The, I like that you're saying that there's not a formula. And um, I think that that's... That's something that's prevalent in self-help. Um, oh, I, I, I hate that. You know, like I hate the gurus. I mean, I really hate when gurus tell you my way is the only way. I My blueprint is the only blueprint that will work. No, that's absolutely not true. Like if you want to go from, uh, you know, from London to Paris, there are more than there is always more than just one way. You can hop on a direct plane, or you can go on a plane that stops in Brussels. You can go on the train. You can go on a bus. You can go yeah. with a car, and you know it depends on what you want, how you want to find the perfect way for you. Whether what's your budget, or maybe you just want to go the more scenic route. And you don't care if it will take you three days because you will be enjoying, you know, French cheeses and and, and some nice French wine along the way. And you will stop in every freaking village, you know, but it's you need to figure out who you are, what you want, Mm -hmm. what works for you and then and then do that. So. You know, uh, all these coaches and gurus and mentors that are promoting that there's just one way to achieve something. That's really just, I mean, I can't say it any different. It's just bullshit. <laughs> it, yeah. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more either. Um, and I think that, well, my qu- based on what you just said there, there, there are many different ways to get to um, a destination, um, which is so true. But, um, do you think that social media plays a part in people wanting to have a stereotypical lifestyle? That they they think that I need to be like this, that and this person has got there through this, so I need to then go and do that. Do you think that that, that sort of projected lifestyle that we put ourselves out in social media has an impact on people's ability to be able to sort of navigate those different routes that they can get to? Well, I mean, it, it's it's easy to explain this one. Like, you know, 30 years ago, um, you know, you would wake up in the morning, the newspaper was there waiting for you. You would go through the newspaper and then, you know, go to work or be a boss or whatever you were. But, you know, there was no uh, media influence throughout the day. And then, you know, you came home, you had a lunch, you, you maybe had a little bit of rest and then, you know, it was evening news and then a little bit of watching television. Now we are 24 seven bombarded, but what's by what society thinks. And it's not about society. It's more about the interest, you know, like who influences all that? Well, big corporations, politics and religion because those three institutions 
have the biggest interest that you are as miserable as possible. Uh, religion, <laughs> I mean, let's just look at it. So if you are, if you are satisfied, you don't need to go to church to find God because you will find that higher spirituality inside of you. Yeah. So they need you to be miserable so that they can preach to you. Politics, if you are happy, you don't care about Brexit, you don't care about Trump, you don't care about anything because you're truly happy. Look at Swiss people. They have no clue who the prime minister is, most of them, you know? And, and the, the, like you can see very clearly the state of happiness in, in a new country where you go to. If they talk a lot about politics, if they engage a lot in that talk, people are not happy. You know, and that's what politics want. They want you to they want to divide you because otherwise they can't rule you. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the third thing is corporations. If you're happy, do you really need Louis Vuitton handbag? Do you really need, I don't know, Prada shoes? Do you need really need, you know, I don't know what? No, you know, like, what do you need? You need like something to eat, something to drink and a bit of roof. And, you know, like. You're happy. Yeah. So the, the, um, there's no there's the, no designer gear and Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs. There's no, there's, there's no no consumer products yeah. and, and, and yeah. psychology. And, and and the thing is that you know uh, technology change like technology can be used for many good things. Yeah. Like for example, I with my message would never be able to reach your audience if it wouldn't be for the technology. Yeah. I would never be able to speak on a podcast in USA if it wasn't for these uh, technologies. A bad thing. It's, it's you know, up to us to use it for good and, and to stay away from the bad influence. And, of course, if you are just, you know, constantly on your phone, smartphone, your tablet, and you're just consuming all of that... Uh, they brainwash you. And yeah. basically, you need to brainwash yourself then back. Yeah. Um, it's something that, um, I mean, I know that, well, I mean, you know that I'm, I've got a, a, a call with you later on in the week and it's something that I'd be interested to speak about because I've tried to cut social media out of my life um, as much as possible. Obviously, it's impossible. To, it's not impossible, but to completely cut out your life, especially if you're wanting to do podcasts and certain things like I need social media for certain aspects of my life but I've tried to I cut it down. I wouldn't say cut it out. Yeah Just so this is what I... out the negative part. Yeah so maybe change who I follow and change the, the, the profiles and yeah. maybe change my friends rather than just cutting out. That's what I was going to say. Would, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that notices a detrimental effect on their mental health and their attitude when they use social media too much? So it's just make it positive. Um, like you can be on social media all day long if you are connecting with like-minded people, with positive people, if you are helping other people by doing that. Why? I mean, go ahead, be 10 hours a day on social media. Just, you know, uh, be mindful about how you spend your time on social media. We go back to foundations. Be mindful about how you go through your day, how you go through your life. And, and you know, at any given moment, ask yourself, you know, like, am I using Facebook right now for something good? Or am I just you know, binge watching what's happening there mm -hmm. and, 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 and just consuming all the negativity. Yeah, which is generally what I tend to do on social media. I mean, I find it interesting that you're saying that politically engaged people are generally unhappy and I'm probably the most politically engaged I've ever been in my life Yeah, at this point in time. Um, my Twitter feed is... I mean, in, in the... In creating this podcast, um, I went out my way to follow people that don't necessarily fit into my idea of good, just to give a broad spectrum of ideas. Um, 
but it's not been comfortable. No, it's I not. Sh- it's I, not been nice. <laughs> I tried the same and lasted four days, and then I cut them all out of my feeds. I couldn't. I couldn't listen to the negativity, and I just unfollowed personally. Mm. Well, but you know, like, um, what if you flip your mindset and you try to see what you can learn from them, how you can use that, like. You know, um, if all your life you would hear hear just yes from your client, you would never grow. Mm. You need no's to grow. And, you know, uh, but it's, it's about how you approach that. Um, you get too emotional. You start translating through emotions. You start attaching your view and all that. But if you would use a little bit of empathy, if you would lo- use a little bit of mindfulness and, and try to see what you can take out of that, everybody can, you can always gain so much from other people. And especially from people who you disagree with or, you know, from especially like uh, the success stories or the or, or the good relationships, they, you know, they build us up. Yeah. They, yeah. But, but learning and growth happens in the pain and in the negativity. Yeah. But your reactions to that, how you use that, that's what is very different. Really, that, that's an interesting, that's an interesting take. Um, I think that when I first started doing what I was doing on social media by going and seeking out opposing views, that was my mindset. My mindset was, this is to give me another point of view. This is to give me, rather than um, the way it's changed. Mm. So it's interesting to notice that that has changed, um, just personally. Um, I think it's for me personally that the negativity put me off because my experience with social media is quite an enjoyable one, so I'll largely just use Facebook and Twitter for just talking about football with mates. So I never at any point sought that negativity out. So when I did, I think that's maybe why it was off-putting, because I personally don't have that negative experience of social media that you know, a lot of people it, feel, you know? Matt, it, it, it's all, it all comes down to, you know, like... Um, why do you need to be on social media? You know, like, it, it, it's, it's no formula that fits all. So, you know, you need to consider, you know, if, if you use social media just to wind down, like, after a hard day at work and you just want to talk a little bit with your mates uh, about football or whatever, you know, like, just keep your account as closed as possible. Just, you know, have those few people in yeah. there and, and that's it. But now that you guys are doing this podcast and I'm sure you need to engage more and more and more, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, you can still do that in a controlled way that it will be enjoyable to you yeah. uh, regardless of if you just connect with like-minded people or not, and you can enjoy connecting with not like-minded people as well yeah. if you approach it in the right way. Correct. Yeah, mm. uh, it's yeah. Perception is everything, I suppose, yeah. and your, the way that you perceive your social yeah. media is going to be the truth for you. Um, that's us like approaching the hour. I think we've just went slightly over. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, oh yeah, um, I was just looking. And yeah, in, in, in about 10 minutes time, I, I need to jump on, on another call. Um, so yeah, I was just about to say, uh, we need to that, wrap up. Uh, I yeah. don't even feel yeah. like, I don't even feel like we've even skimmed the surface. We didn't even touch the surface. I'm really looking forward to our call later on in the week. Um, like I, this is the first that I'm speaking to you other than text messages. Um, yeah. I've, I mean, you're definitely an inspirational character. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Your story's incredible. Um, I mean, even just telling people headlines over the course of the week, people have been like, oh, definitely going to watch that podcast. Um, But I I, I find you, personally, I find you an inspirational character. And I just want to say thanks for coming on to the podcast and being candid about your experiences. And also, I mean, we've touched on 
how you how you got over um, de- depression and stuff like that. But um, I'd love to speak to you again if it was be possible. Um, yeah, definitely. Maybe, I mean, I I I love having talks like this. So yeah, we can totally set something up and and continue with the conversation. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about your experiences in helping people and. Uh, we can get into that another time, but we've, we've, we've used the hour just getting to know each other. So thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and um, that's us. Good night, man. Thanks. Yeah. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's been great chatting. Um, yeah, take care. Enjoy the, I mean, enjoy the rest of the evening. So, uh, yeah, have fun and uh, we'll connect again and, and, and do another one. And uh, that's it. Perfect. Take so, care, Thank guys. you very much. So Cheers. Right,